Uh, grab your Bibles this morning. I, I want to take opportunity this week and next just to talk to the church uh, and just to lift up the Word of God and um, prepare us for this big transition. Uh, we, if you don't know, if you're new or visiting, we took the last two years to preach through the Gospel of John. It was a great joy. Um, and the last few months, we, we spent some significant time in Isaiah chapter 55, and that was a joy. And then uh, Mother's Day was a standalone. And today and next week, I just want to do a little business here with us as a church as we get ready for what God has ahead. And uh, man, what a joy. What a joy it is to be together, to be the family of God, to be in the trenches together, loving each other, growing together, honoring our King. I pray that you're encouraged and you're challenged. I, I always say it's a, it's a blessing when the Lord brings conviction. Because he's not leaving us where we're at. He's, he's waking us up to how we can know his word, know him, honor him in all that we are. And uh, so just pray for all that. Matthew 28, 20, verse 28. Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ also known as Son of Man, also known as God the Son, put on flesh, humbled himself, lowered himself to walk among us, to be like us in every way, the scriptures will say. Hebrews 2.17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And therein lies in both those verses I've read, why? Why did he have to be made like us in every respect? According to Hebrews 2.17, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to satisfy the perfect and holy wrath of God for our sin that we might be reconciled to him forever. And isn't that what Matthew 20, 28 says? He came not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord of lords, the king of kings, the doctrine of the incarnation, which is God taking on flesh, the son of God taking on flesh, is wonderful, marvelous. And why to give ransom for many? He went low for us. When we were his enemy, other scriptures say, when we wanted nothing to do with him. His elect, his beloved sheep, his chosen people, he gave his life as a ransom for many. Other scriptures will identify that many as a worldwide people, a people of every tongue, tribe, and nation. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. I want that simple verse this morning in Matthew 20, 28 to wreck us. To just bless us by wrecking us. Number one, just the beauty of the gospel. Because it changes everything. The most prestigious, most famous, most high-ranking, most powerful person to ever walk the face of the earth, God in flesh, the sovereign God, chose willingly to go low, to put himself in a place to be ransomed by his blood that we'd be bought 
so that we could enjoy him forever, be reconciled to enjoy him forever. If you walked in this room never having done true business with who Jesus is and what he has done, if you've never done business with that, you need to understand, I love you to, to tell you the truth that at this moment, apart from Christ, you stand guilty. You stand condemned before a holy God. There is nothing you can do to buy your way into his family, into eternity, enjoy with the Father. He is right he is a good judge. He is right to condemn you for sin, not compared to how you compare yourself to the guy down the street, but how you compare to him and his holiness and what that's due. You stand before him guilty. But that's not where to the news of the Holy Scriptures ends. There's good news. There's good news. That Jesus came, he humbled himself to save guilty sinners who were dead in their sin and only interested to sin, deserving of God's wrath. He revived them with his love and grace, his power, regeneration. He is the life giver, not just of your physical life, but of your spiritual life. For all those who will trust in him alone for salvation, who will, who will die to be in Lord of their own lives in their sin, to confess that as sin and, return, and, and give God what he's due, to submit to him as Lord of all, including every part of your life. I pray that you come to trust in Jesus, who is life, who is love, who is our only hope, so that's the first thing. We've got to see and savor the good news of the incarnation. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Praise God for all that he is and all that he's done. That's why we sing. and That's why we continue to resound in praise. Second, I want the truth that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve to wreck us today because in this he paves the way for the Christian life. And that God would love us enough to help us see that there's many days and many seasons where we just completely ignore what our master has taught us, what the Christian life looks like. And we just, in his power and presence and under his authority, we just choose to do something else. Fulfill our own agenda, build our own kingdom, stay busy with world man-made stuff. Priorities. The Christian life doesn't look like a bumper sticker an evening prayer before dinner, and an occasional participation in church activities. It is a life of sacrifice and service, of joyful service to, for the Lord, to honor Him and make much of His name, to, to preach the gospel, and to, to raise up disciples, whether those are children in our home or people that God's put in our path or in our church family, to, to be discipled, then to make disciples unto the nations for the time he's allotted until he returns to take his people home, to make all things new, to put his enemies under his feet. Jesus taught about the kind of life his faithful followers would have if they truly trust him and serve him. If anyone would come after me, he said, 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He said that a number of times. That particular quote is from Luke 9.23. Jesus taught that not only would he die to save his people, but his people would die to their sin and to their self-reign to serve him with the rest of their lives. For a true Christian, dying to self is both a one-time event at that moment of salvation when you see you're guilty in your sin, you confess it as sin, and you trust your life to Jesus. There's a, a dying to your self-reign that happens in that moment so that the Lord would reign in your life. And it's also a lifelong process. When Jesus died on the cross, he did something I could never do, forgiving my sins by his perfect blood. But in that, he also shows me what I must do as a true follower of him every day of my life. And do you notice that? When we consider what it is to be a true and devoted follower to Jesus, it's not that we serve or are sacrificial occasionally or maybe a couple hours a week, but daily. And so... In a modern society, we're so easy to compartmentalize our, our life and our faith and, and make it this just box we check and I'll get back to that next Thursday and that's kind of my thing on whatever. And, but no, it's see church, it's a daily thing. And if there's conviction there for you, then praise God and we can repent and turn to what he's called us to be and mature into that together. The scriptures teach if you are reborn by God, spiritual birth, as Jesus spoke to Nicodemus of what that is, that means you, you're, you're dead to your sin, the reign of your sin, and you live for God and his holy plan for your life. It means we give up our, our grip on the temporary kingdom we were once enthralled with and building something that was going to have an end, houses and toys and all these things that are temporary, we give that up for the sake of the eternal. Not that we completely abandon a vacation or a working car or nice things, but we store them very differently than we did in our sin. <clears throat> this allows us to have a, a rightly prioritized place on our stuff, on our relationships, on our schedules. And we reprioritize those things to show that Jesus is our greatest treasure, not those things, not those objectives, not those items or experiences, but Jesus. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Live like me. Serve like me. For a lot of Christians, they consider what Jesus did and the life he lived and the death he died as good and needed, which is absolutely true in every way, desperate for what he did, and without him we are utterly lost. But in some ways, modern-day Christians kind of like put that aside, and then they just kind of go back to their own agendas and their own way of living. They miss the opportunity and the steady teaching of Jesus again and again. Followers, disciples, understand this is what this is, to be mine and to follow me. It means the world's going to hate you. It means there's going to be real suffering. It means you, you're going to give up what you once clung to to 
to be about me and my plan and my agenda, not your own. But it's a joy to do so. And, and, and Jesus said it again and again. He said, he said in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. But our sin, gets, our sin says, have it now, have it your way, do what you want, don't do what you don't want to do. That's our sin. But life in Christ is my joy to be blood-bought and to be yours and to serve you, to have the, the inner workings of my life have eternal meaning and impact. To be sent, to see that Christ is sent to do this most needed work to under perfection, and, and then he sends us even in our utter imperfection, he sends us on mission. Christian life is about Christ. When we open our eyes in the morning, that day before us is for him and for his glory. And the, the children waking us up too early or the, the, the work schedule that didn't go right that day or the struggle with with the scale you might be having, or the, or the, uh, the, the, the renter, you know, the landlord, or, or, or the, the, the noisy neighbors, or the whatever is going on, the, the guy that gave, was given a license and has no idea how to drive. Wait, we're given that day, we're, we're given that hour, we're given those, that family, that job, to make much of him. <clears throat> and so it makes sense that he would send us on mission to make purposeful use of these days he gives us in the short time before eternity begins. That we take seriously making disciples who go on to make disciples. And we wouldn't sell that process short and be willing to buckle up and do the hard work and grow and mature and be sanctified. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How did the Father send the Son? He sent him to serve and not to be served. So, so church, this is what Jesus says to his people again and again. This is what the apostles continue to teach throughout the New Testament. That this short life that God's given us is in Christ is sacrificially, it's our opportunity to sacrificially serve God and serve others and make much of the name of God and worship him and testify his gospel, make disciples unto the nations. I want to revisit a passage we spent time in these last couple of years in, in our journey through John. John 13, if you want to turn there, we're going to look there quickly. And it's, it's the night of the Last Supper, and something very phenomenal happened. It's, it's another lesson, it's another, it's another poignant thing that Jesus did with the disciples that I believe he wants us to continue to remember because it applies to us too. John 13, 3 through 5, and then we'll skip down to 12 through 15. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, 
already in this text, it just really lays it down. He has the power of all things, the possession of all things. What do you and I do when we are given a ton of power and possession and opportunity? We love to make it all the more about ourselves, and yet watch what Jesus does. Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus rose from supper. That supper we're going to celebrate here in just a little bit. He laid aside his outer garments and taken a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. the most prestigious, most famous, most powerful person to ever live in history, God in flesh, down on his hands and knees, and tending to the most disgusting thing in the room. And then in verse 12 through 15, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Teacher and Lord, Jesus is. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash each other's feet, one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Jesus Christ, Son of Man, God the Son, eternal, served the disciples in the most humbling way to set the tone for how they were to serve others in the days and weeks and months ahead for the church in the season he would ordain. The simple truth is if we are truly submitted to Jesus as Lord, we will follow him and serve like him. We will continue the work he modeled and began. We will point others to him and live like him. Here, Jesus gives a crystal clear explanation of what he was doing in washing the disciples' feet. I love how Pastor John Piper speaks of this. He says this, When he had washed their feet and put on the outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am your teacher and your Lord. In other words, I have a high standing. My standing in the room is the highest. Let's, let's acknowledge that that is true. And in that, don't miss what I'm teaching you here. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, from my high standing, I have gone low in serving you. You also ought to wash one another's feet. You too should go low for one another. I've given you an example. You should do just as I've done to you. This is really clear. Jesus' rank is high. His standing is high. It's the highest. Therefore, by ordinary standards in the world, the way the world works in sin is he should be served. He shouldn't have to lift a finger. But instead, he contradicts what is ordinary and standard and normal. And from his height, he goes low. From his high standing, he goes low, joyfully in serving. 
Church, we need to see in this how radically different God's agenda for his people are in the shadow of the world's agenda. I I hope you realize that when you truly are committed to and follow Jesus Christ as Lord, your life won't look like your neighbors on the left and the right. Your your, your bank account, your vacations, your priorities, your schedule, it's just not going to look the same. I would contend even, even if you get that crazy bonus, you come into a ton of money, that that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you start to look like the world in this greater way. I actually think the testimony of your sacrificial lifestyle to make it about the Lord and not yourself is all the more on display. Yeah, vacation might be a little nicer than it was under the previous dollar amount, but it, it it doesn't take over. I, I don't begin to live like the world. I, I, I want to serve. I want to give away. I want to, I want to see the Lord's agenda. I, I see the shortness of this time. I see the example I'm laying for my children and for those watching. I, I want the gospel to reign. Do you desire to serve like Jesus? Or do you make excuses? Or do you pull rank? Church, it's our privilege to follow our master's example and go low. I want the heart of the servant leader, Jesus Christ, the motivation to sacrificially serve in joy, to never let it be about me, to see how he's flipped even rank and status and stature on its head for us so that the gospel will be bright. Jesus names John the Baptist the greatest to ever live. John the Baptist was a migrant hippie. A nobody. And by God's sovereign choosing, chosen to be the voice, to be the announcer of Christ, he builds a successful following. And then when Jesus shows up on the scene, all of his successful following begins to follow Jesus. And his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, run up to him and go, they're all going with him. What are we going to do? And John looks at him and goes, this is why we did this. It was our joy to work, to labor for him. It's not, at the end of the day, for us. We didn't start the business for us. We we did it for him. It's my joy to know him, to be his, and to do my life for him. And he says most famously in John 3.30 that he must increase and I must decrease. This is possible for you and me, even when we are the leader, even when we are wealthy, even when opportunity to do all we dreamed about is right before us, even when you're in high demand, even when others are meant to do it. It is our opportunity to go low and to be sacrificial and to serve and to put Christ on display. Acts 20, 35, remember the words of Jesus, Paul says, 
how he himself said it is more blessed to give than receive. And some of you have tasted that. You, you've sacrificed, you've given, and you've tasted what that's like. Even in the most sacrificial moments, how you walk away from it, you feel a little guilty, like, I'm the one that did all the work, and yet I feel more blessed than the person I just served. And that's this, the blessing that it is to, to serve another and not just make it about ourselves. To go low. Jesus went low because the path of going low is the path of joy. It's the path that he was commissioned to. And we have to see today, church, it's the path that we're commissioned to. To not let sin tempt us into laziness or exalting ourselves. To not be in Lord of our own lives, thereby fulfilling our own agendas. But all that goes on the altar. Lord, what would you have with my life? It is yours. I love to watch Sold-out Christians do this, and it, it makes the world go crazy. When that star athlete destined for greatness and the pros and million-dollar paychecks walks away in their prime to go out into the mission field. And the world goes, stupid. And, and yet the gospel's on display in that in the most awesome way to see the sacrifice, to see that it cost you something. The fact that it cost you something is the reason why it's good. I, Jennifer and I have found this a lot with our foster care ministry, something that we do as a family in an effort to try to model for our kids how we give our lives away, purposefully choosing to do something to that costs us something. And the biggest question we get, and the biggest comment we get, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't love these little children and nurse them and feed them and to give them back these broken homes, these go to see these kids go to these really broken situations. And, and, and it's joyfully frustrating because it's a great opportunity. And yet what we get to say is, do you think that that doesn't hurt us like you're saying it hurts you? There's not tears. There's not real loss. It does. And I'm like, but then how? And I go, but that's why. That's why we do it. Because it cost us something. Is thereby then how the gospel is on display. Because it's not, it doesn't fit into our schedule in convenience. It's, it gets to move to the front to be a priority and we give up other things to make it work. And that's the beauty of the gospel at work through us, the testimony that it gets to be to these kids and to those who get to see it. It'd be too hard on our kids. Well, no, that's, that's one of the reasons why we're doing it. Our kids live in California, the United States. Our kids are stupid rich spoiled like they don't even understand how do we as parents break into that the soup kitchen experience big deal they serve for an hour they go back to their plush lifestyle how do we break into that to show what it looks like to give our lives away for the name of jesus in a way that's night and day and in, in a way that the kids have tears when the kids go and excitement when they come and by the grace of god it's been a joyful beauty but that that's the that's the work that's the the, the leading of it 
And, I, and man, that's, that's our thing. And, and, and there's 2,000 kids in Kern County that need that. We pray that many more of you would join that effort. But I'm not saying that's the message. It, it could be anything that you, God gives you to do to serve others, to go low for them, to, 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 to have less of a hobby. or a, you, you don't ever collect all the Star Wars figures in your lifetime because you're... Your money's going to something else, or you never get to finally finish saving up for the dream vacation because you, your time and your efforts went to something else, and that's okay. That's okay. So what is that for you? Let's get real practical. What does it look like to go low, to serve others? In 1 Peter 4, verse 10 as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. His grace upon his children and he gifts us. The uniqueness of how we're all wired. I could go around the room, the different gifts, the different temperaments, the patience, the, the knowledge, the insight, the strength, the, 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 the mercy, whatever's in play for each of you is all this beautiful, messy diversity that makes the body wonderful. And that even if you feel very not prestigious in what you do, you're important. You're, you're, you're those ligaments that like hold the kneecap in place. And you feel like, man, the kneecap's really important. You're like, yeah, but if you don't hold it in place and it falls off, then the kneecap's not holding the leg. It's, it's all important. It's all important. You know? And the, the, oh, the eyes are so important. And wow, it would be great to be like that. Well, the eyes you want... Tell you where to go. You can't walk anywhere. The kneecap's not held in place. And it's all broken down. It's all important. Everyone's gifted. Everyone's got a part to play. That's the beautiful diversity of the body of Christ. Whoever speaks as one speaking the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God gives, use it to serve one another. How are you stewarding the life that God's given you, the knowledge, the skills, the time, the money that God's given you, to push it out, to serve one another, to, to press out that gospel message. How are you, and I ask you, I ask you today, how are you doing that? In your life, in your family, in your, the economy of your life? That's a serious question we've got to take inventory on. And then specifically, because there's so many scriptures that speak to it, how are you doing that within the body of Christ? And what's the part you play in this family? What's the thing you hold up or the the thing you clean or the thing you speak to or the thing you support. And, and you know, that can't just be, hey, hey, I'll, I'll jump in when you need me so that the ligaments that hold the kneecap on just kind of like roll through every once in a while. Hey, do you need me today? Yeah, we know we need you every day. What is that for you? What is that gifting? What is that call? What is that service? The, the, the way we talk about it in our home and Hopefully it's this way in your home, or if not, you, you kind of want it to be, and we start making some changes to get it there. But, you know, uh, mealtime comes around, and the expectation of our children, of all the members of the household, is what's your part? Like, you know, the kids don't get to stroll in, hot and ready, the food's hot, we smell it, oh, it's amazing, sit down, eat, set their fork down, push away from the table, and go, oh, that's great, and run back into their video games or whatever they're doing, like like it's all for them and they should have left a tip on the table maybe <laughs> didn't have to lift a finger 
No, you're a part of this family. So jump in and help it be prepared or jump in and help it. Do you realize how much time your mother spent or whoever cooked that meal? Like, let's not make them do that after. Let's bless them. Let's, let's stay here until it's done. Because you're a part of this family. And, and you don't get to just go like, no, that's not the way it's going to be. I'm just going to show up and eat and then I'm going to bounce. And, and I'll say this, it's truly refreshing to see the members of our church and new people joining our church finding ways to dig in like they never have before. Discover areas to serve and use giftedness and help and be a blessing. And it's awesome. For some of you, you've even been willing to say, hey, my, my interest, my giftedness is over here. There's not really a need or that's covered, but I'm willing to jump in over here. You know, and some of our biggest, burliest guys are rocking babies. and like, I, I never dreamed, I don't really want to do this, but I will do it. I, I will love you, or whatever that looks like. Or, you know, you have this idea of putting on your Sunday best and coming, and, but someone's got to take the trash out and vacuum the floor when we're done. And some of you stay 30, 40 minutes after, and you clean, and you prepare for the week ahead. Someone's got to do that. And praise God. It's happening, and a pastor loves to see his flock get that and for us to rally together and have our parts we play. And that's especially meaningful in a season like this in the life of the church because the global church, much of the global church, has bought into a, 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 an economy, a man-made system, very much led by the business world. If you look at the if you look at the part of my bookshelf, I'm getting ready to purge much of this as I move into my new office. I'm tired of toting it around. Like the heaviest part of the books that came out of the, the, the 90s and, and, and the following decade were all business-minded books. Models of how to do church have nothing to do with this. Follow these business models and grow big churches. And the problem with that and what came of that was they hired a ton of professionals and you basically taught the flock not to do the work of the ministry. According to this, my job, the pastor's job, together with the other elders, is to equip the saints, that's you guys, for the work of the ministry. But the modern church has flipped that around and say, we'll just pay more money, hire, hire a bunch of you pros, to you do it. We won't even disciple our own kids. We'll just bring them to you, and you teach them. And so you have this thing where the church has become this thing where the way people evaluate church is not based on the, on the, the, the validity of sound doctrine or the quali qualifications of the leaders or, or the community that they're looking to become part of that family with. It's how glossy is it? How many programs do you offer? Does it fit into our thing so we can come kind of get our stuff and then bounce? And the church has actually perpetuated this, going, man, that's all we want of you. Pay a little money, come, get what you need, and that's good. And churches are satisfied just to fill masses of people in these huge churches that way. And you're never known, you're never really growing, you're never really walking with anyone and maturing your faith. And so in that, it's become to look much like a country club. With a country club, you pay a membership fee and you get services. You would never pay all this money to be part of a country club and expect to be all dressed up and walk out of a beautiful lunch and then have the gardener say, hey, can you give me like 30 minutes to help plug this money hole over here? Be like, no, that's why I pay you dues. That's your job. I got someplace to be. 
But in a lot of ways, in a lot of modern churches, that's what it's turned into. Now, by the grace of God, we've taken the last 10 years to kind of break that back down, come back to what has God called us to do and to be. And by God's grace, you all and, and, and many more people are seeing the fruit of that biblical model and going, what a joy it is to be the church and to, to be what God's called us to do and to get low and serve each other and to raise our kids to understand that and to break down these things. We have all these massive groups of people like youth ministry, old design, as the kids have all this fancy stuff and they graduate high school and 85% of them never go back to church. Because we taught them, we're going to give you this really glossy thing and then when you graduate from that and we say, come back to big church, you're like, oh, this is not glossy like that was. I'm disinterested now. We didn't help them to grow and mature and raise in their faith to be a part of the body. And God's doing it. He's, he's shaping us and he's maturing us. And I just praise God for that. Um, the, church, the church is not a country club. It's a group of saved people by God's grace bought with Jesus' blood for the purposes and the glory of God. Amen? That, that's who we are. I would say the church is not a country club. It's really much more like a team. A team you are, you are signed up by the owner to be a part of. To play on the field, not just to show up and sit in the stands and watch. The Bible says that every one of God's redeemed children have been entrusted with giftedness. You've received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we are to use the resources, the abilities entrusted to us to serve one another, to make the gospel go bold and strong out, to make disciples unto the nations, to do the mission of God. And... and the fight of sin is that you get to a place where you feel too tired or you're getting too busy with other agendas or you're too selfish or lazy and you're like, yeah, you play less and less with the team and you're more satisfied just to go to the stands and watch. Not any longer really acting like a member, but like a, just an attender, a bystander, an observer. And the sad thing is there's dozens of churches that will be glad to like take your couple bucks and give you a seat and grow it wide and shallow and just don't see that that's what what God's revealed to us is what he's called us to be and to do and and what's kind of fun is most, a lot of you are finding your way to disciples church in this season you're 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 seeing you're, God's giving you a discontentment in the other things that you've tried and you're saying there's there's a biblical thing that God's doing and we want that and we're kind of seeing that that's happening here and so we want to lean in and I'm stoked about that. The church is a family who serves one another. L listen to Romans 12, 3-6. By, for by his grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we though many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Are you using the gifts and the time and the abilities and the resources God's entrusted to you for his glory and others' good? 
Galatians 5.13 says, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only not to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, free just to go then be, live according to how I want, but through love serve one another. God's removed our shackles of sin, not just to fulfill our flesh, but to get to do the work he's called us to and take up our cross daily and sacrifice and die daily for his glory and others' good. Galatians 6, 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That, that word burden there is not transgression. It's not sin. We're not to bear each other's sin. Christ is the only hope we have for bearing our sin. No, we're called to bear each other's burdens. That, that's, the, that's just the happenings of life when it goes sideways and you find out you got a, an infection or you find out that you owe triple what you thought you owed or you find out that you're... Your, your car is dying on the inside out all of a sudden. It's not running or whatever's going on. And, and we get to join together, link arms, and bear each other's burdens. We get to be blessed to honor each other, serve each other, have that gospel model to help carry it, to help pay a bill or sit in the hospital or watch kids or help with the project to its end or loan a vehicle or, or whatever. And praise God that it's happening in our church. You're, you're doing that more and more. I praise God it's a growing testimony of who we are as Disciples Church. How, how though, do we do it well and prepare to do that well for those who will, in the coming season, visit and, and, and come to join us? I, I, I want to really break down what is that word service. That word service is using your God-given gifts to sacrificially minister to each other. Using your God-given gifts to sacrificially minister to one another. To minister to and to love others. Your service is your ministry. It's the ways in which you minister to each other. The Greek word there means to attend to someone. And that sacrificial love of God motivates us to tend to others and not selfishly look for just what I get out of it. And so back to 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen? Amen. We're to use our gifts to serve each other, to serve those that God puts in our path. So I ask you again practically this morning, and this is some of the business I, want, I need to do with you today, as we get ready for our grand opening, is how are you doing that? Some of you are very faithful. Some of you serve more than a couple times a week in different capacities. Some of you have been really faithful in years past, and you found a way to kind of drift from that, and you're not currently serving in any kind of regular way. And, and praise God that you might bring conviction under repentance where you would jump in and, like you haven't. But each of us has something to contribute, especially in this coming season. Do you realize that um, we didn't need to build 
on four acres, 20,000 square feet, in a worship center that seats 300. We strategically only built that because in all my research of 20 years of ministry, I found to see that a church that gets bigger than 600 members starts to lose its ability to really connect with each other and make disciples be healthy. You're just chasing the masses after that. So we very intentionally didn't design our home-based campus for anything bigger than that. The goal is as we continue to make disciples, we're raising up leaders so that if and when, if that's God's will that we'd ever get that big, that we'd be ready to multiply and to continue to see God expand our reach to others in the city, unto the nations and beyond. Now, I want to talk about our part, but we have to recognize ultimately growth is God's to do. Spiritual growth, awakening dead hearts to life is God's work. Does he will that we are just a healthy church of a couple hundred people and we continue to be and making disciples and doing our work? If that's where we stay, this facility will be great. We've also designed it to have some room and some opportunity. In Bakersfield, there's this trendy thing that happens. When Bakersfield builds a new building or a new restaurant opens, we just all go crazy, like, like girls at an 80s boy band concert or something. And, and, and people line up for like weeks. I mean, just do yourself a favor, and a new restaurant opens. Just plan to go there like a month later. Otherwise, you'll be waiting like five hours just to have a meal, right? Like, we just go crazy about it. Well, there's this thing when new churches open new buildings that that happens too. Now, because we believe in what we're doing, the way the gospel's preached here, the way disciples are made, we are really excited about the fact that God might want to grow our family with people who would come, be saved, be discipled, and be part of our family. I, those of you who've been with us a long time, I've, all, I've said this to you. I love it when new people come because it's not just people, again, like the modern church views it, to come and attend our church. I look at new people who come to our church and I go, these could be brothers or sisters that I'm going to grow up with and raise a generation or two with. Like, that we know each other and love each other and fight for each other and mature in the Lord and do his work together and see our kids grow and our grandkids. And like, like, that's what that means to me. Because we're not that church that's just looking to get crazy big and have like a gazillion people. Just not interested in that. I, don't, I just don't see it as the drive of, of how we build church. So, but, but if you're newer and checking us out too, the other thing is just, what does it look, who are these people? What are they about? What is this thing? And you really see something authentic and genuine and the real fruit of what's happening. And we believe that what God's doing here, that that will happen. Now again, at the end of the day, it's up to the Lord. But Here's the practical thing that is one of the pastors here I'm thinking about often lately, and I need you to think about with me today because it involves you. We, we can't just shuffle over to the new campus and do exactly what we're doing right now because currently we have three children's classrooms. We've built five. Um, currently we have about 100 people that attend, adults for worship, and we've built a place that can house more and double that, triple that. Do you realize what happens in the coming months if two or three hundred more people come? <laughs> do, you, do you see what I'm seeing there? Uh, because if we don't have more people serving in kids' ministry and greeting and handling the custodial activities, they're not going to come back. Or we're going to have to turn them away. I'm sorry, these classrooms are full. I can't get anyone else to serve. Now, here's the reality. 
it's going to take time for certain people to get connected and bought in and be ready or qualified to serve in different capacities. You don't want me bringing a stranger in off the street and telling my children's director, hey, put that guy in charge of the three-year-olds. <laughs> like, right? So it takes time to get to know people and get them involved and to a place where they're jumping in. Not that they can't jump in in other ways. So this is where this gets really practical. I need to ask you, our core body, as we prepare for this transition, to sacrificially consider jumping in in a way you haven't been lately for a season of potentially three to six months. I believe in that time people will connect and get involved and eventually we'll be able to start relieving you of some of your extra duty with other people that can start serving and share that load. That's the beauty of that bigger body is you get to have more people, more diversity people serving. And so it is for a season. But if I could say, hey, are you willing to give up an hour and a half once a week? And that might mean that we get to serve and, and eventually 100, 200, 300 more people become core members of Disciples Church. And you only need to do that for a few months? I believe all of you say like, dude, yeah, I'm in. Let's go. Hour and a half. That's it. And so I, I want to start there today. Uh, I want you to pull out the card in your, in your uh, bulletin because we have to actually communicate with each other to make this happen. We can't lead you in ways that we're not talking with you about it. I realized I didn't put any place for you to put your name. So if you could just write your name and your phone number and your email, just in case we don't have any of that correct, on the back. Write it legibly for us. Don't write like I write because then you can't read it. Um, and, and I just need you to be honest and to consider jumping in with us in this new season so that we can love those whom God might have and be ready for them. And hey, if it's God's will that we're not going to swell at that number, we're going to be this healthy-sized church that's smaller, great, I get to relieve you all the sooner and we get to keep going, doing what we're doing, trusting in God's timing for however that will go. Which service do you, no which service do you normally attend, 9 or 11? For a long time, people have been saying, hey, you're building this bigger facility. You guys are just going to go to one service. And our answer has been no. Why? Because I still want you all to be able to worship every Sunday. And if 50 of you are serving one hour, that means 50 of you don't get to go to church that day. It's the main reason why we have two services, not because our facility demands it, because I value us being together to worship and to grow in the Word every week. Which service do you normally attend, 9 or 11, or you don't have a preference? Meaning, in the coming season, if it meant that it would help us better for you to worship one hour and serve another, you'd be like, yeah, I'm good with that. And here's the big question I have for all of you today. Are you able or willing to serve the opposite hour in which you attend? Whatever you're currently doing to minister and serve in our church, will you consider in this coming season making Sunday morning commitment regular to serve one hour and attend the other? That's the hour and a half I'm asking you to give. Can it be in this coming season less about coming and just being here for an hour and going home, but to be committed to serving and modeling that for our kids and being a part of this church right now? Again, if you're brand new and you're visiting us right now, I'm really not in this moment talking to you. I'm asking our current members to bear this, and, and you are part of who we want to serve well in this coming moment. Although I will tell you that if you're here and you're digging what's happening at Disciples Church, then jump in with us. We'd love to help you get involved. But to our core family, if the answer is yes and you're willing to do that, then here's where we have some serious needs. If yes, please circle the areas in which you are interested in serving on Sundays. Children's ministry, youth ministry, worship arts, 
hosting hospitality. You know, we have new ways to greet people in our larger facility, make sure people know where they're going, to tend to the, the uh, nursing mothers in our cry room or, or uh, the, the different needs we have. The, you know, we got more people coming. That means more coffee to pour in the coffee bar. There's just different things. Custodial and janitorial. One of the realities, you know, we're on five, this is 5,000 square feet. We have a team of wonderful people that show up every Thursday and they clean and help keep this place up. And they have clearly said to me, Pastor, do you realize that place is four times the size of this? And because they're going, we, little team, can't do 20,000 square feet. We can do five. And so I'm going, yeah, I think my hope is we multiply some of those efforts and we have some other creative ways that we get that done. But it's going to meet, it naturally means we have a little more to tend to. For three or four years now, we've had no grounds to tend to. We went from having so much grounds, we don't know what to do with it all. And, and then we sold Valley Baptist, and we didn't have any of that to handle anymore. And then since we've been here in a warehouse at a storefront, there's been nothing to, to tend to. And some of you have, have, have mentioned, Pastor, there's a lot of rock at the new campus. And I'm going, yeah, praise the Lord. That's purposeful. <laughs> And if you, if you don't quite get that, then ask anyone who was a part of the old campus and 35 acres of grass and 300 trees. Originally, when we built that campus, we had three full-time groundskeepers. Three full-time. That was one of the biggest church campuses on the West Coast. It's gorgeous, and it killed us financially. And, and, and it just, it, you know, for years it didn't look right. We weren't able to keep up with it. So in working with our landscape development team, I said, low water, easy maintenance, and evergreen as possible. And I worked them again and again in. You've got to make this work for us so we can manage this thing and make it look great, but have it be workable. We live in the desert. It's okay, right? It's going to look gorgeous. That ground cover is going to cover those rocks. The trees are going to fill out. It's going to be gorgeous. But that means we've got to have some hands on deck during the week. So, so, so that's the next part of this. You have Sunday morning responsibilities. I'm also saying, are you willing or able to serve during the week? Are you willing to come out and be in a part of that weekly cleaning or some facility maintenance to keep up with our new facility or midweek kids club? If we swell on Sundays, we're going to swell in midweek. Um, some of you are newer, don't know about midweek, and I'm really excited for you to discover what it is. But in just a couple weeks, we're going to fire off our new summer series. We were just with the group leaders last week, and we're all just thrilled about the summer series, about how to defend our faith and know how to speak about the Bible and all these things that we feel so just junior in and how do I do that well I feel so I need help and you're just going to be blessed you're going to love this series and time to be connecting in groups and just really excited will you please not leave today if you're a core part of our church without filling this out honestly openly so we can be communicating with you in the coming weeks to make sure we have the bases covered in this coming season my promise back to you is as we can continue to get new people involved then we will continue to relieve you of some of you who are willing to do extra in this coming season. Maybe you haven't been serving lately. Now is a perfect time to jump back in regularly. Uh, again, if you're, if you're brand new and you're jumping in in some way, we'll, we'd love to talk with you about that. But um, really excited about what is to come. But practically, as you start to see with me, it involves some of this touch. And so what does that look like to go low? to look to think about my weekly schedule in such a way where I'm willing to serve and be a blessing to others, where my church experience is not just what I get out of it, but I get to be a blessing to someone who might be coming who doesn't even know Jesus. He's going to hear the gospel that Sunday. Or a mom that's desperate to have help in raising her kids or 
a marriage that's in trouble and needs counsel and love and support and encouragement to walk with them. And we, it's not about just us, it's about being a blessing for those who might come and be part of that with us. I'm crazy excited about what's coming, amen? I want to dig into a little more of, of another th- way to think about what's coming next week. And then uh, June 3rd, we're going to fire off our new series. That midweek's going to fire off that week. It's all coming fast. But right now, I want to finish our morning together by taking the Lord's Supper. And so will you pray with me? Father, I just thank you for this time that you've given us to be together, to, to worship together. Um, to divide your word, consider these things, Lord Jesus, that you've taught about what it means to be a follower of Jesus again and again. And we wouldn't shirk that, but we'd take it seriously. We'd say, Lord, I'm excited. This is what it means to be yours, and I want to do this. I want to begin to consider the changes to our lifestyle that it might mean to do this well, to be involved and be committed and regular. I pray that you would seriously um, mobilize our family to be available and to be ready to, to, to be here both hours on Sundays for a time so that we can receive and not have to turn away. I pray for those that we're inviting and talking to and been excited to expose the, all the great things that we love about what you're doing in our church to others, that we continue to do that. I pray that that you would be honored by our sacrificial love and service for one another by the the joyful opportunity to carry each other's burdens. I got a phone call late last night about some brothers who got out of bed and went and tended to someone who was who was in trouble. Love that, Lord, the way the body of Christ is at work and joyful to do it. It's just awesome to see. We are your people, and you are our God. Be, be glorified in and through us especially now as we prepare for Lord's Supper. I'm thankful for my brother Matt and his leadership as an elder in our church and uh, leading us through the Lord's Supper this morning. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen.